For Arizona Public Media, I'm Mark McLemore, and this is Arizona Spotlight. Coming up, find out how a Tucson church is providing a temporary home for women and children from Central America. I'll talk with Dee Dee Bridgewater about coming to town for the Tucson Jazz Festival. Visit a monthly gathering that celebrates the creative potential of electronic music. And Chris DeShiel recommends the best of what the Jewish International Film Festival has to offer. Those stories are next on Arizona Spotlight. U.S. border officials are bracing themselves for another wave of Central American refugees. The majority are women with their children, coming from Honduras, escaping mass gang violence, and according to the U.S. State Department, the highest murder rate in the world. The first big refugee surge came in 2014, and with it came criticism of U.S. Customs and Border Protection for being unprepared and for housing refugees in what the group Humane Borders called deplorable conditions. But this time, Nancy Montoya reports something is different. An unlikely partnership has formed to find common ground. A seven-year-old bangs on an old, out-of-tune piano in the basement of this Tucson United Methodist Church. While irritating to some, for the little boy, the sound is comforting and really a sign of feeling safe. I sat there with Adelita, a six-year-old, as her brother pounded on the piano and she happily stacked giant cardboard building blocks. When I asked why she and her mother, brother, and three sisters had come to Tucson from Honduras, the answer was painful to hear. They killed my father, she said, and I thought they were going to kill us and my mother. And yet, here she sits, playing with her brothers and sisters. The story of how these families have made it to the basement of a Tucson United Methodist Church is one of people on seemingly different sides working together to do what is humane. Now, two years ago, U.S. Customs and Border Protection was caught off guard with the surge of Central Americans, especially women and children, fleeing their countries and presenting themselves at the border for sanctuary. Even the head of the agency, Gil Kurlinkowski, admits things were not good. That is the summer that we had 68,000 unaccompanied children. Uh, our border patrol stations were absolutely overwhelmed. Our border patrol personnel were. We didn't have uh, health care. We didn't have uh, food systems in place. Nothing. It's important to note that these families have not crossed illegally. They followed procedure. When they arrived at the border, they asked for asylum. Customs and Border Protection does an initial interview and determines their country of origin, their claims, and whether they have a family member or friend they will be staying with in the U.S. until a hearing is held and a final determination on their status is made. 
The problem is that many of those host family members are located far from the border. Well, in 2014, Customs and Border Protection simply dropped them off at a bus station and they had to fend for themselves. The Tucson faith-based community was outraged and demanded that federal agents let churches take care of asylum seekers. And so, begrudgingly, the federal government did. What's different this time? Well, now border officials are asking for help. We know that a high-ranking CBP official who chooses to remain anonymous asked the United Methodist Bishop responsible for Southern Arizona for help. It's chaos in here. Well, we put all the stuff together. So two churches under the leadership of Reverend Roland Loomis got started converting one undisclosed church basement into living quarters for up to 50 immigrant women with children at a time. People ask, you know, do we have money for this? And we're like, no, we don't know. How long is it going to last? We don't know. How many people? Up to 40 or 50 a day. We don't know. Um, but we knew as a church that this is something we were called to do. And once the congregations learned of the plan, volunteers rushed into action. Linda Allen was one of them. Well, I think it, it helps just knowing that there are people that are on your side as you start your new life. Because uh, we pack travel bags for all of our um, guests uh, based on the number of days that they're going to be traveling on the buses. There was so much to do. Another volunteer stepped up to organize a system of contacting the U.S. family members and getting them to be responsible for purchasing bus tickets from Tucson to other cities. Customs and Border Protection is now working seamlessly with United Methodist Churches. Agents like Marco Estrada are dropping families off at the church parking lot. We're all humans first and foremost. So, uh, you know, you see the family members and, and you, you, we have families as well. We, we can relate, I know. It is a handover, he says, from agents who are concerned to a congregation that is compassionate. It makes my heart feel light that we're making a step in the right direction. And the United Methodist Committee on Relief has also sent help, the financial kind, $60,000 to help pay for food. The money will soon run out, but the wave of women and children from Central America seeking asylum will not. So volunteers from all over Southern Arizona are showing up with supplies and more and important, their intentions. And just like we can see the apprehension in their faces, I think they can see the hope in ours. And For Arizona Spotlight, I'm Nancy Montoya. It's hard to believe that Dee Dee Bridgewater's professional music career began as far back as 1970. Unlike many singers, she's grown bolder and more experimental as time has passed. Known to NPR audiences for her long hosting stint on the program Jazz Set, Dee Dee is a Tony and Grammy winning performer, producer, and writer, a mom to three kids with careers in the arts, and a United Nations ambassador for the Food and Agriculture Organization. What's more, she's coming to town this weekend. She's one of the headlining artists in the 2017 Tucson Jazz Festival, performing Friday evening at the Fox Tucson Theater. That gave me a chance to talk with the vivacious and fearless Dee Dee Bridgewater, and I started by asking her, is 2017 going to be a good year for jazz? 
I have a strange feeling it's going to be a good year for jazz as I think that it's a year where we are moving into a great many unknown variables. I think that when you've got a lot of uncertainty, uh, people tend to want to hear live music. <laughs> so let's see if, if that thought of mine actually becomes a reality. I don't know in terms of, of sales. I don't know what, what this year is going to be like in terms of sales for jazz or for, for music in that matter. It might be a conservative year, I, I think, in terms of spending. Well, true, but you seem to me like an artist who lives for the stage, that performance is your bread and butter. Absolutely. I mean, I, there are very few royalty checks, <laughs> and, and I think that is, that's the plight of many artists today. But yeah, the stage, that's where I make my money is in performing. And I love performing. I'm not too keen on the getting to and going from, but I do like it once I'm on the stage. <laughs> As an artist whose career began uh, working with some of the some of my favorites, great names like Thad Jones, in 1970, I couldn't believe it when I looked back and saw that your recording debut was in 1970. Do you think that now you're in the position of passing on a lot of advice and wisdom to the current crop of players? Oh, of course I am. I uh, have been mentoring a young trumpet player. Maybe you've heard of him. His name is Theo Croker. But the, even if you haven't, um, he's the grandson of Doc Cheatham. I produced uh, an album of his two albums ago. And then I had him produce his own album, his last album, and they're both on my label. I have just tried to teach him, as well as the the members of his band, um, the etiquettes that you need to know when you are on the road and dealing with promoters and dealing with all of your volunteer people that help on festivals. It's very, very important. And a lot of artists, and especially young artists, do not think about all of the wheels that have to turn to make one show happen. And you know the business not only as a performer, but also as a record producer and as a band leader. Yes. And I think that's great. Can you tell me about something that you learned about being a good band leader and who you might have learned it from? Well, I would say the person that I learned just about everything that I know today in music is, is Thad Jones. And to people so, who aren't familiar with Thad's name Thad now. Thad Jones uh, was a trumpet and cornet player and headed up a band with a drummer by the name of Mel Lewis. And their orchestra was one of the best big band orchestras of the 50s up through the, the 80s. It was an amazing thing. Are you particular about working out set lists before your performances? Um, I'm a little less. I've started just going by feeling. And that is only, I'd say, in the last... When did I start doing that? October. <laughs> <laughs> And that's huge for me Yeah, to veer away from my set list. Mm -hmm. um, I have been known to skip a song when, when I'm doing a set and have the musicians look at me like, well, wait, that's not what you wrote down. And, uh, but now we've gotten that, that down too. If I, if I say something else and I say, just come on, follow me, go with me. <laughs> and there we go. Give us a preview of what you've got in store for the audience tonight at the Tucson Jazz Festival. Oh, it's secrets, darling. It's <laughs> secrets. 
No, actually, I'll probably do a couple of numbers from my latest CD, which was the collaboration with Urban Mayfield, which is called Dee Dee's Feathers. So I'll probably do a couple of numbers from that. Um, and then I will do probably a couple of um, songs associated with Abby Lincoln because I'm kind of feeling Abby these days. And then just some favorites, some favorites. We only have a 75-minute set, so... I'm going to try and, and squeeze a lot into to that little amount of time. Is Theo going to be with you in Tucson? He certainly is, Theo and his band. Why did Theo stand out? Why did he seem like an artist you wanted to invest your time and, and energy in? Um, I met Theo in Shanghai, China. <laughs> uh, well, that's fun right there. Yeah, about eight eight years ago, eight or nine years ago. I don't remember quite now. He was part of a big band that was put together to back me up for the Jay-Z Jazz Festival that is held annually in Shanghai. And um, I liked his sound. I thought that he had great musical ideas. Is the trumpet your favorite horn to duet with? I kind of think it is. My father was a trumpet player. And um, I think all I'm, I'm doing is, is recreating my relationship with my father with all the different trumpet players I've worked with. <laughs> that Freudian thing. And um, all of my heroes, for the most part, with the exception of Horace Silver, are, are, are trumpet players. My biggest hero is Miles Davis. And I always, from the time that my father started playing his music and I became aware of him as a teenager... Um, I said, I want to be like Miles Davis when I grow up. I want to be able to do whatever I want to do. This little song for my father does things that no other can do. As I sing it to you. You know, there's a rhythm and rhyme that will fasten his memory in time. D.D. Bridgewater with Theo Croker performs Friday evening at the Fox Tucson Theater, one of more than a dozen jazz festival concerts happening this weekend. The complete schedule is at tucsonjazzfestival.org. There's a new monthly gathering in Tucson that's bringing artists who create beats, electronic, and experimental music together with their listeners to share a physical space instead of a virtual one. It happens at Flycatcher, a nightclub on 4th Avenue in Tucson. Next, Andrew Brown takes us there, and hosts Finn, Jed, and Rock will tell us what Pushing Buttons is all about. What makes a good beat to me? Um, something that makes me want to dance. Me personally, I like good drums, good bass, something that makes you move uncontrollably. It's like any noise, there's something in it, there's like a quality to it that like resonates in, in you. And you're like, ah, I feel that. Welcome you to Push Your Buttons number 12, the one-year anniversary. This is a producer get-down. You see all of this equipment up here. This wooden floor is not lava. You are more than welcome to come up, interact with these producers as they perform live for you.
you'll go to hip hop shows and it's just MCs and the producers are always, and DJs are always in the background kind of. And this one, we just wanted to make it kind of a chill night where our producers will come out and just kind of display the stuff that never really made like the albums. A lot of guys had gotten together and say, hey, it would be cool if we could just session, uh, just kind of like how bands practice, just get a bunch of producers together. It's very gear-based. We encourage them to bring their, their drum machines, synths, whatever they feel comfortable playing live on, instead of, as opposed to just like playing a beat on a computer. It's like a curated open mic where Fenny will get like six to eight people to come in and play for 15 to 20 minutes. He says, we want you to host. I say, it's perfect. And then uh, it all came together. So what I need y'all to do right now is make some noise for Lab Mom! Maybe this is people who just like hang out in their bedrooms and do this for themselves and don't have an audience. Got safety tunes, but I'm not scared. Brakes are good, tires are fair. Or people in town that have an audience online but never play out. They arrested me, threw me in jail, called my pappy to throw my bell. He said, son, you're gonna drop me to drinking if you don't stop driving that hot rod. Lincoln. Thank you. Good night. So Fenny started the night a year ago. He just wanted to get all the local producers out, create a scene without creating a scene so much. Created a basically like a safe place so producers could gather and show off. Put your hands together for And then it, six months later, basically turned into a scene. This is a very special episode of the Kevin Dowling Fitness Hour because tonight we are live at Pushing Buttons. We're like a community of producers and there's a lot of really good stuff in Tucson. A lot of people started coming out of the woodwork that nobody knew about. They heard about the night and they showed up and they were like, hey, can we play next? real hype beats, could be banger stuff. It's, and it's not just hip hop, it's a lot of, there's a lot of electronic, we've had some house producers get down. I've never been so happy in my entire life. What are you pushing buttons on? Oh man, well let me tell you. Uh, I am pushing buttons on a Teenage Engineering OP1. Uh, it is a synthesizer out of Sweden, and it is one of my favorite things in the whole world. Ten years ago, it was a lot harder to do something just like that. You would just play the song, but now you can actually like manipulate it because there's so many different controllers, and it's a lot easier now. I think. What you put your buttons on? I'm on a Boss RC505 Looper, Techniques 1200, and a mixer, Goodwill Toys, and instruments. Hey, yo, shout outs to coming up on 1200 at Goodwill, son. Goodwill is like that.
that don't know, tell them. What do you push your buttons on? MPC 2500. That's the new new. For, for all y'all producers out there, that's the new new. Hey, cheers to Mr. Wins, Mr. Tim How you do the cuts? Just tell them how you do the cuts. So I take a pad, I put the noise on the pad, I put the slider on pitch, and when you go up, the sound goes high, and when you go down, the sound goes low, so you emulate the scratching. The ring. This night has totally fleshed out something that was there but didn't have a place or even an audience outside of the internet. I'm gonna finish my chartreuse, but while I do that, what I need y'all to do is make some noise for Sleepy Tiger! big in the growing and coming together of, uh, I wouldn't say Tucson hip hop, I would say Tucson music. Your nerd beat night. <laughs> Before this, we were just having random nights like at the house. It's just really awesome to be able to have community that vibes on it all gets inspired by it all, supports it back. The bands you just heard included Lab Monk, Dad's Dad, Nick Arcade, Tim Wen, Sleepy Tiger, and the Kevin Dowling Fitness Hour. The story was produced by Andrew Brown. You can see Pushing Buttons in action on PBS 6 this Sunday at 6.30 p.m. on Arizona Illustrated. January is traditionally a time when major film studios release the movies in which they have the least amount of faith. A few last-minute Oscar contenders might be hanging on, but kids' movies, sequels that are expected to underperform, and movies that were greenlit by last year's executives take up most of the big-screen real estate. Here in Tucson, there's an alternative to Hollywood's annual downtime, a diverse showcase of cinema from around the world, often about subjects that will generate more conversation and emotion than box office receipts. Here's Chris DeShiel. The Tucson International Jewish Film Festival, now in progress and continuing until Sunday, January 22nd, is a labor of love by the Tucson Jewish Community Center, or JCC. The festival started in 1991 with the screening of a small handful of movies. This year, there are more than 20 independent films from around the world, with themes of Jewish life and heritage, the Holocaust, Israeli life, LGBT issues, and general themes of diversity and social engagement. Just a few examples of the films playing this time include For the Love of Spock, a celebration of the life and career of the late Leonard Nimoy, the actor who played Mr. Spock. It's directed by his son, Adam Nimoy, and word of mouth says it's delightful. For the Love of Spock plays Saturday evening, January 14th at 7.30. Surviving Skokie, a documentary by Eli Adler and Blair Gershko, examines the famous 1977 case when neo-Nazis decided to march through Skokie, Illinois, which they chose because it was home to many Holocaust survivors. 
The film then expands its theme to look at the life of survivors and their kids in Skokie and how the controversy inspired greater awareness on the part of the children of their parents' trauma. It screens Monday the 16th at 7 p.m. And on Saturday the 21st at 7.30 p.m., we get a touching portrait of courage and love, My Hero Brother, in which two sets of brothers, each having a member with Down syndrome, go on a journey through the Himalayas. Now, I'd like to take a few moments to focus on one excellent film playing Thursday, January 19th at 5 p.m. It's called The People vs. Fritz Bauer from German director Lars Krome, and it dramatizes a long-suppressed true story, that of Fritz Bauer, a prosecutor in post-war West Germany devoted to bringing Nazi war criminals to justice. Bauer succeeded in locating Adolf Eichmann, one of the main architects of the Final Solution, in Argentina, and tipped off Israeli intelligence, who subsequently captured him. Berghard Klausner plays Bauer, a Jewish lawyer who returned from exile to Germany and became a zealous prosecutor of Nazis. Most real heroes don't look like the kind you see in Hollywood movies. Klausner closely matches the real Bauer with his frizzy white hair and pinched, hawk-like face, although the actor is somewhat older than Bauer was in the late 50s when the film takes place. His performance is ferocious and utterly convincing. He demonstrates how furtiveness and an abrasive manner would be exactly the quality such a man would need to cultivate. And for those unfamiliar with post-war German history, it may come as a shock to realize that many ex-Nazis retained government positions during the post-war Adenauer administration. And the film shows how the head of German intelligence, himself a former Nazi, attempted to undermine Bauer at every turn. Ultimately, this explains why Bauer turned to Israel in order to get Eichmann, an act which would have been considered treasonous by the German government if it had not been kept secret. A major theme of the movie, The Imperative Nature of Conscience, is highlighted by Bauer's working relationship with a younger lawyer named Angerman, played by Ronald Zerfeld. Angerman's vigorous defense of a man accused of homosexual acts inspires Bauer to confide in him, and eventually the young man must choose between his career aspirations and his commitment to justice. The People vs. Fritz Bauer is an artistic triumph, but more importantly, I think, it brings the issue of culpability much closer to our time. We tend to think of fascism and Nazism as something far removed and over there. But this film shows how even when the struggle had supposedly been won, evil forces continued to wield influence and power in the state. I hope I've inspired you to visit the JCC and take in some of the wonderful films playing this week and next. It's gratifying to see how vital an event the Tucson International Jewish Film Festival has become. To learn more, go to TucsonJCC.org and scroll down to find a link to the festival on the right. For Arizona Spotlight, this is Chris DeShiel. Thank you for listening to Arizona Spotlight. You can also find podcasts on iTunes. This show originates from the AZPM Radio Studios. The music is by Calexico. The production engineer is Jim Blackwood. Our executive producer is Peter Michaels. I'm producer and host, Mark McLemore. Thank you.